Welcome to the Ride With Us podcast, presented by the American Coaster Enthusiasts, the world's largest ride enthusiast organization dedicated to the appreciation, promotion, and preservation of roller coasters around the globe. So please keep your hands and feet inside the podcast at all times as we welcome your hosts, Jessica Gardner and John Davidson. Hello, enthusiasts. Do you love pointing out an ACE landmark coaster plaque when you see one at a park? I know I do. Have you ever wondered why ACE does them or why it's important to our organization? Well, in the spirit of ACE turning 45 and us taking a look back at our history and also maybe educating some of our newer members, this week, my co-host John Davidson has a conversation with our ACE historian. Did you know there was an ACE historian? His name is Dave Honor. Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, John. Well, before we get into the historian and the committee and everything, can you give us just a little bit of a background into maybe your origin story with coasters? Sure. Uh, I live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, near Pittsburgh. I grew up near Kennywood Park. My uh, grandfather used to work at Kennywood at Noah's Ark in his retirement years, and we used to go quite often because, well, back in the day, it was free admission, and he used to give us free tickets. So we would go quite often, uh, several times a year, and I uh, had a very strong fascination with the park, and uh, I, you know, I was my personal playground, I, I felt as a kid growing up. As time went on, I I was actually afraid of roller coasters when I was little. I, I, I couldn't, I was so scared of them. Finally, I got, um, I guess, bullied to get onto a ride <laughs> with a bunch of uh, classmates. And uh, I, we rode the racer and it was love at first ride at, at that point. I, I, I never stopped at that point. I, and uh, I've loved coasters ever since. I ended up working at the park uh, in my uh, high school and co- early college years. And uh, that was when ACE had their third national convention there in 1980. And that's how I found out about ACE. Joined ACE then and have been a member since 1980. So I've been a member for 43 years. Back in high school, what, 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 what were you doing at the park? Believe it or not, I didn't work on rides. I worked in refreshments. <laughs> <laughs> I would work at the uh, what they call the Lucky Stand at the time of the convention, which is across from um, the Thunderbolt and the Potato Patch, where we serve corn dogs and funnel cakes and cotton candy. I believe I met Clarence Heinz, the first, uh, I guess, uh, membership director for Ace, and he wrote everything down on a napkin for me when I would join. So, and I, I got, I joined. Like I said, I've been a member ever since, and of course, uh, the passion grew. And back in 2004, I was asked, or actually 2003, I was asked to write a book for Arcadia Publishing by uh, Kennywood Management. Over the years, I got to know Kennywood Management quite well. Uh, as, uh, I, be- I became a assistant regional rep for our region, and I knew quite a bit of the managers, including Mary Lou Rosemeyer, who was our, who was the uh, PR director for Kennywood. I guess they were approached to have a book written for Arcadia Publishing on Kennywood with their new amusement park series. And uh, she, uh, she contacted me and she said, Dave, would you be interested in writing the book? I'd never written a book before. I mean, it was 
totally new experience for me. And uh, any, although Arcadia is more of a just writing captions for pictures type of a book, it still required a lot of research and 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 so on. And it was it was quite a learning experience. And uh, with her father's help, who who was uh, Carl Hughes, who was the chairman emeritus of Kennywood Entertainment, and he also was manager of Kennywood Park for like 40 years, as well as uh, the chairman of the enter- uh, Kennywood Entertainment for many years. He was my inspiration. And uh, I want to say uh, he, he helped me to research the book. I interviewed him extensively about various things that uh, were featured in the book. And I was, uh, it was a very nice relationship that I got with him. Unfortunately, uh, he died a few years later, but uh for about six years, he and I had a very special relationship. He always asked me how the book was doing. Uh, he invited me to his house once just to, to discuss the park and uh, the future of the park. And uh, we actually became friends after that. And I really enjoyed our friendship with each other. Wow. So that's um, your first deep, deep dive into history. Into history research. at the time. I was asked by uh, then president uh, for ACE, Mark Cole, to possibly be historian for the park. Or for the club, I mean, and that was back in 2006. And quite frankly, I I, I declined. I, I said, you know, I, I enjoy history and everything. I, I enjoy re- researching all this stuff, but there are people in the club that can write rings around me and know more, have more knowledge than I do. Well, he was very persistent, and two years later, he got me in as a historian. <laughs> so <laughs> I finally relented and accepted in 2008, and I've been uh, historians ever since. Two years of bugging, huh? Yeah, yeah. You're tough, I, you're uh, tough I really didn't think – it wasn't that I didn't feel like I didn't know it, but I always felt that there were individuals that had a lot more research and a lot more knowledge than I did, and quite frankly, a lot more experience because I was – a fairly younger member. Uh, I was in my 40s at the time. And uh, I thought, well, you know, there's got there's got to be guys in their 70s that that know more than I do, you know, and the previous uh, historian Richard Munch, uh, I in whom I admire quite extensively with his his knowledge, I felt was, you know, he, I, how could I match up to him? He was the founder of ACE for crying out loud. <laughs> so, you know, and he he had a lot of connections in the industry. And I still admire Richard. And in fact, um, after I took over, I created the History Committee, which was something new uh, at the time. Originally, it was just the historian and that was it. But I felt I needed a, I needed a bunch of people to help. Because although I may know a, a, quite a bit of information out there, I don't know everything and I'm never going to know it. So I, I figured I'd pick uh, some of the brains of some of the, you know, uh, people within the club that I knew have a lot of historical knowledge of, of the industry. And so uh, Richard was one of the first people I, I asked to be on the, uh, on our team. I thought it was a good idea to get a team together to help on the research because yeah. some of our members uh, who are very, um, active in in the industry like jim futrell who is a historian for national amusement park historical association as well as the historian for iapa and he's on the hall of fame committee for iapa so he has extensive knowledge jim abate also from uh who is uh the editor for nafa he has a wealth of information uh 
then we have like Scott Rutherford and uh, Randy Geisler. And I, I'm sorry if I don't mention everybody on our committee, but all these people have contributed one factor or another to help. So I'm very appreciative of all their help. I'm going to pause here for a second and then talk about ACES mission because one of the three bullet points in ACES mission statement is to foster and promote the conservation, appreciation, and knowledge and enjoyment of the classic wooden roller coasters. And I'm paraphrasing there a little bit, but if you could kind of help us picture from some of those new ACE members or people who are not yet members of ACE, where does the organizational fall with the historian and the mission statement? I feel that the historian is very important to help fulfill the mission statement for ACE in terms of uh, educating uh, our members and the public. Um, there's not a lot of information out there in the industry in terms of, you know, who built what rides. Uh, I mean, sure, there are some books that are written and there's also, uh, you know, the, some of the pioneers such as Gary Curiosi with his uh, amusement park book from the 1970s was probably one of the first big books out there on the history of amusement parks. But um, there wasn't much else written prior to that. And uh, it's great to see that there are probably hundreds of books now on different parks across around the world, um, different uh, aspects of the industry. So there is a lot of information, more information out there now. And plus with the, the internet, the proliferation is hundredfold now, if not more. Roller coaster database is, a, is another uh, major uh, factor in terms of uh, information out there. And there's a lot of great historical knowledge inside roller coaster database. And we can thank Dwayne Martin, the founder of that for, his insight and uh, and persistence in, in creating that website. So there's a lot of great tools out there now that, you know, a lot of people didn't have in the pioneers of ACE, such as Charlie Jackways, who wrote the first book on Kennywood, uh, along with a few other books like on Westview Park. He did all that before the internet was even, uh, you know, a pipe dream. So I, I give them all crazy credit. to think. Yeah, I mean, I have everything at, the, at my fingertips now if I need it when researching something. I, I can only imagine what they had to deal with and how they had to research, uh, you know, 30 years ago or more. Yeah, and if you tune in a couple podcasts ago, we even talked about the early years of the Internet and how they started creating some of the first senses and some of the early ACE members got together on bulletin boards. So we'll have to, if you missed that episode, you'll have to back up about a month and check that one out. But um, so you're the historian and that falls underneath history and preservation. Is that is that correct? Correct. Back when I started uh, as a historian, I was actually an, East, an executive committee board member. I was actually a voting member on the board and uh, I was an appointed member. And uh, I believe it was in 2006 under uh, President Jerry Willard. He wanted to condense the executive committee from I believe we had like 16 members on the board down to about 10. So a number of positions, including the historian's position, was technically like morphed into, uh, we, he merged the historian, the preservation director, and the archivist into the one committee, which is now the history and preservation committee. And that is currently uh, under management of uh, Jimmy Tito. So where do ACE landmark coasters fall in that organization? 
Okay, the ICE landmarks, uh, they started uh, under uh, Richard Munch's administration of, of as historian. I believe our first one was uh, given in 2002, and I believe that was Leap the Dips very uh, appropriately as the world's oldest roller coaster. And uh, when I took over as a historian in 2008, I continued that legacy on as part of ACE. And it became a huge, important factor in identifying historic roller coasters. At first in the United States, and now we're, we're starting to spread out to outside the United States. It definitely falls under ACE's uh, mantra of what we are trying to do of educate the uh, the public, as well as the uh, our membership, on uh, the importance of certain factors in history of how the how the roller coaster developed, from you know the Russian ice slides back in the 1700s to uh, the most modern crazy thing that Enemin uh, or uh, B and M can create for us. So you know we're appreciative of all the the designers and all of the uh, parks that uh, have installed these uh, magnificent rides. And we really, you know, we, we need to keep that documented. As the world's largest enthusiast organization, I think it's our duty that we have to try to document it as well as we can. Otherwise, who else is going to do it for us? Yeah, kind of going back in time, uh, you know, I'm a little bit younger, but I grew up at Six Flags St. Louis in Screaming Eagle and seeing the Ace Landmark plaque plastered on the wall. And it's just like, it's also like just kind of hit on what you're talking about with with the preservation and keeping it in front of the public because it's pretty amazing that Ace goes to the trouble to create a plaque and do a presentation. So can you walk through the process of maybe what it's like to decide the next one and to pick it and present it, like all the little pieces in there? Well, there's a number of factors uh, in in choosing a landmark flag or a landmark coaster. We have, uh, within the committee, it's brought up, and we get suggestions from other members. Uh, we also look at uh, coasters that we know are historically significant. I mean, it's Leap the Dips, obvious, is, is probably one of the, the most obvious because of its age and and the fact that uh, it's the last of its type and the last uh, figure eight side friction coaster in the world. And at one time there was thousands of those, if you can believe that. And that's the last one. So it obviously was a, uh, one of the first choices to be designated. Now, originally we were looking at rides of historical significance that were, that helped to, revolutionized the industry like magnum xl 200 first one it was the first steel coaster to go over 200 feet and went past that 200 foot barrier that uh had never been done before uh batman the ride uh at uh, six flags uh, great america that was the first of its kind with a inverted looping roller coaster it became such a important factor in, in amusement parks almost every amusement park installed one after that so that was a more modern trend but then we also look back at like some of the historical uh, factors of like some of the different designers such as john allen john miller herbert schmeck they were pioneers in the industry to help to develop it especially in the 1920s and beyond helped to develop the rides as we know them today 
unfortunately, wooden roller coasters, I mean, at one time numbered by the thousands, and now we're down to just a few hundred uh, wooden roller coasters in the world. And we've now become more uh, in tune with some of the historic rides that we want to acknowledge their existence because there's such a vanishing breed now when roller coasters and we hate to uh, I mean sure there are still new ones being developed here and there but not like it used to be I mean uh, and we want to acknowledge those ones that have been around for quite some time in terms of age and the we want to give recognition to them and as well as give recognition to the the parks that uh, maintain those rides yeah because it gets more challenging the older they get the less you yes. can find parts, the more, I mean, it just becomes exponentially more difficult. Well, wooden coasters are probably more, or uh, I'm going to say it, easier to maintain because wood is wood. You know, you can just replace the wood. Uh, you just have to have the right people that know how to do it and to do it properly and safely and, uh, you know, use the right materials. Whereas steel is a little more difficult because they may have to replace a whole section of track. Um, if there's a problem that develops. And we've seen that from time to time. In fact, I, I think uh, Loch Ness Monster at uh, Bush Gardens is now uh, undergoing some track rent restoration for this upcoming off-season. And we're seeing like brand new pieces of track being developed to, you know, to put onto the ride, which is fantastic. I think that is absolutely awesome that Bush Gardens is putting that kind of money into restoring and maintaining that ride. And by the way, is a, a slam or roller coaster. <laughs> so, well, and yeah, to put that in perspective, this that one was originally hand bent, you know, and put together. There was that that was pre computer. No, absolutely, everything was hand welded. Pre- yeah, they did everything on site for the most part, you know. And uh, uh, Ron Toomer, who was a great friend to Ace, by the way, and I, I am honored to have been able to communicate with him over the years until he is passing and by the way he was honored that we were giving credit to the corkscrew at silverwood and that was just before his death that uh, in fact the corkscrew was uh designated uh, shortly after he passed away that uh, just a few weeks so i had been in communication with him on that one up until he was no longer able to communicate any longer and so I was uh, very honored to be able to talk with him and and, and get his input on, on the ride. And, uh, of course, the funny thing is about Ron, he didn't ride many of his rides because he was prone to motion sickness. <laughs> kind of ironic, right? Yeah, it wasn't. But he was an engineer, in, uh, and he, he started in uh, with NASA, and appropriately, you know, to be able to, you know, from the space age, <laughs> to be able to create space age uh, type roller coasters. We're very uh, thankful for uh, his contributions because the uh, although he didn't invent the tubular steel design, that was his predecessors, uh, Carl Bacon and Ed Morgan, for Disneyland uh, when they were when it started Aero Development. He was hired in the early '60s to be an engineer for Aero, and uh, along with uh, Carl Bacon, he created uh, the first modern uh, looping roller coaster. Which was the corkscrew. Although there were other looping roller coasters that predated it, including some wooden ones back in the turn of the century, and there was a couple steel ones from the 1950s. Uh, the corkscrew was the first successful of the modern era, 
and we're thankful that it's still around today at Silverwood. That, uh, although it was at Knott's Berry Farm when it uh, originally operated, uh, we're thankful that Silverwood decided to purchase that ride and saw the historical uh, significance to keep that ride operational. And uh, they do, they man, uh, maintain it magnificently, from what I understand. So they do. I'm really, I'm really uh, appreciative of that, and uh, that's a that's an important piece of history that has been retained and uh, we're we're very thankful for that and again obviously it was very worthy of getting its landmark status for maze yeah i was lucky enough to get to silverwood actually just about a month ago so that is a, a great park and they like you mentioned they do a great job of maintaining that coaster yes no they may they maintain that coaster from what i understand very well and i it, if only Every park did the same, you know, that, uh, but it, we have to also realize that amusement parks are not living museums, but they're, um, they're, they're businesses. They have to make money. And sometimes a roller coaster is beyond its serviceable life. And unfortunately they sometimes don't feel it's worth the investment to, um, to reinvest in that, in the, that ride and uh, we lose it to history, whether it be uh, steel coasters or wooden roller coasters. It's always hurts when we lose an historic ride of some sort. Even the most basic kiddie coaster, wooden kiddie coaster, I mean, there's not many of them. So any one that we do lose, it's another piece of history lost. As long as Ace can keep promoting those rides that we have, and, and that's part of what the landmark presentations do i mean uh, the, the landmark plaques help to give awareness that hey this coaster is more than just a, a fun ride for people this is this one has a little bit of history to it and maybe I, I don't want to take credit where you know it's it's not there but maybe we can convince especially some of the smaller parks that maybe you shouldn't take that ride out, you know, by, when we give them a, a plaque. I'm not saying that that has any influence whatsoever. Unfortunately, we've lost uh, two uh, landmark plaques since they've been de uh, designated. The Blue Streak at uh, Carnegie Lake Park and uh, La Montaña Rusa at uh, Chapultepec in New Mexico. Um, unfortunately, both have been torn down since they were designated as, as landmark coasters. And if you're interested, um, you can go to ridewithace.com and at the top, there's a menu item on coasters. And if you just hover over that and click on landmark coasters, you can see a list of all of them. And then we were talking before this, we were trying to decide, you said you've been on, what was your guess on percentages? You've been on two thirds? Was um, Probably more than two thirds of the, of the landmark coasters. I try to ride as many as I can. Uh, now, that makes an interesting uh, story into itself. It's a lot easier for me to write about a coaster that I've ridden. It's a lot harder for me to write on a coaster that I've never experienced, nor have I have ever been to the park. Just recently, we had that uh, scenario with, uh, forgive my pronunciation, Rush Bonum. <laughs> I, can't, I cannot pronounce that coaster at uh, Tivoli Gardens. Um, my, uh, yeah, my Danish is not, uh, not very, very good at that. <laughs> anyway, I've never been there. I've never had a, the opportunity to travel there. It's 
definitely a part part that I want to get to someday. Um, hopefully, I'll be able to. But uh, so it took some outside um, help to get uh, information on that coaster. And fortunately, the um, Joe Pools from uh, the European uh, Ace, uh, the European Ace rep, was able to get some information for me. And I also was in touch with the. Uh, director at uh, Piverly Gardens, and uh, we were able to get the information and a lot of, uh, and some of the facts, as we discovered, get twisted uh, over, you know, a lot of it online, uh, a lot of it from word of mouth, and um, we were able to finally uh, get the correct information on um, how to to write the play, because that coaster had an interesting history because it literally was in the middle of World War II. It was physically bombed by saboteurs and was damaged pretty severely. And but they, it was such an important part of the city and uh, and of uh, Denmark that the government put forth money to get the coaster reopened within 28 days. And that is amazing into itself. And then just recently, I saw old film footage where they had to they didn't have an electric lift to pull the motor up they actually had a hand crank like a i i I can't describe it it's like what you see in uh old naval vessels where you 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 stand behind a, a a beam and you push it around in a circle and they would have like six to eight men doing that to get the the uh the train up to the top of the lift and then people would get on the coaster at the top of the lift. They would actually, oh. board up. they would climb up the lift and board at the top of the lift and then ride the ride. That's dedication. <laughs> and I'm sure ACE members, if that were around today like that, we would love that. But uh, it was amazing. I just, I had no idea that they didn't even have a motor to pull the, the car up the hill at that point. They had to do it all by by people, people power. That's how determined they were that this coaster was important for the uh, uh, the well being of the Danish citizens. So great information. Uh, that didn't make it into the uh, the plaque, unfortunately, because I found that out after after the fact. But it's amazing stuff. I mean, and there's more amazing stuff like that for every roller coaster if you if you dig deep enough. Yeah. And you were also talking about utilities and tools. And the, one of the things we we're talking about offline was that um, you can actually check your ACE landmark coaster stat. Um, it's one of the free options in the LogRide app. So if you track your coaster uh, counts in LogRide, if you click on the stats and scroll down, there is an ACE landmark. And I can tell you that I have completed 51% of the ACE landmark coasters. So I got a lot to yeah. go. <laughs> no, that that that's still great though that you got that much. So that's right. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, there, definitely. It's it's amazing how much people volunteer their time, build tools, build research. Um, you know, when you guys when you were talking about that, to word of mouth versus research, um, is that maybe your is that a big challenge? Um, of trying to get facts well, versus word of mouth versus. Yeah, you have to try to verify what you hear. I mean, yeah, I, I there's a lot of times, like, even when I was researching my Kennywood book, I, I had hearsay of 
something that was here or something that was there. And you had to try to research it and, and, and make sure that it actually was there. Because a lot of times people's memories aren't necessarily accurate. You know, it's, you can't always go by, you know, I remember growing up as a kid, they always uh, were saying that, well, there was a, uh, you know, we had the little dipper at Kennywood. We also had the big dipper behind it. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And there was no big dipper. But I think a lot of people were thinking of the Pippin or the Thunderbolt roller coaster. They that's what yeah. they called it, you know. It's like so you can't go by that. I mean, because people's um, memories are definitely, and knowledge is ne not necessarily accurate, you know. Uh, so you try to get as accurate as possible. I try to be as accurate as possible. Um, I, I'll even let you know on a couple secrets. Uh, there are two errors that I'm aware of on our plaques. <laughs> oh no yeah oh, no. Uh, well it happens unfortunately <laughs> i was off one year on Connie out like parks uh, blue streak uh opening uh we had in 1938 and we got later evidence that it was 1937 yeah at the uh the park uh, uh opened the ride in fact it was on the fourth of july 1937 that the, the ride opened but this came in later documents that were discovered uh, by somebody who was researching a book on uh, not just uh, Connie Lake Park, but on uh, Westview Park and the uh, T.M. Harton Company. And I appreciate his input. And then this one is strictly a typo. <laughs> I misspelled Anger Allen Poe uh, for the Raven when we were doing it. Uh, I misspelled Allen. I spelled it A-L-L-E-N. It's A-L-L-A-N. <laughs> And that's how it ended up on the black. So mistakes happen. We try to, get, and that's the other thing. I'm not the only one that works on those plaques. I yeah. write the preliminary uh, first drafts usually, but then I have a team of people, including the history committee, that goes over it and they'll say, "Oh, this fact isn't right. You may want to change this fact, or you'll, you know." Then I also have what I call the grammar police. <laughs> And uh, I want to thank uh, Leanne Drought is our uh, captain of the grammar police, uh, who's also <laughs> our uh, publications director. And she is absolutely invaluable to make sure that I've got all the T's crossed and all the I's dotted and every and all the punctuation is correct. And and the tense and pronouns and everything is how it should be on the plaque. I mean, uh, I, I can write, but I'm. May, I'm not a English major. <laughs> well, I can tell you your plaque would be way better than mine because. <laughs> well, I have a team I, that helps me. So. <laughs> and that, isn't that great? And that, and that's one of the great things about ACE and volunteering and, and getting the strength, strength in numbers, for lack of a better term, is yeah, the, I the mean, more eyes you got it, the more eyes you got on it, the more people researching, the better overall that you know, the data is, and that's kudos to those volunteers. And I, I want to thank each and every one of them that helps me out over the years. Uh, just a set of, another set of eyes on the, on the text is paramount to make sure that we get the, everything right. And even after we go through the refining process here, you know, as deep as we do, sometimes, uh, you know, it does happen, you know, where a mistake is made. We try to keep it to a minimum, obviously, but, uh, you know, we're only human. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah I, can't, time to time. I can't, I can't, unfortunately, imagine. the plaques are permanent. You can't change them once they're made. So, 
by the way, there is total 48 um, coasters right now that are landmarks, two of which have been demolished, unfortunately. Two of them did not get plaques written for them, one of them being the Big Dipper at uh, Jog Lake. So, I'm sorry, that would make three that were demolished. That one was also demolished. And that was demolished before we could give it a, uh, a plaque, give it its plaque. The only other one that does not have a plaque currently is the Matter on Bobsleds. And that's more because uh, Disneyland uh, has told us that they're appreciative of the uh, of the uh, status, but they do not want to display the plaque near the ride. And the reason being is it would take away from its overall theming, and they do not classify it as a roller coaster, by the way. They call it a, a roller coaster-like experience. <laughs> So they don't want to acknowledge it that it's an actual roller coaster, if that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I Disney is very strict on their theming, so I'm not, yes, they I'm not are. Surprised. I, I I'm appreciative of that too, but I think uh, sometimes they can make an exception, you know, especially when we're trying to acknowledge because that ride in particular is a very historic, pivotal historic piece of uh, roller coaster history. Uh, because it was the first to use tubular still. And uh, it was the first of its kind. And those rides, the the tubular steel then was later used for the bigger machines that we see today. And, uh, you know, if it wasn't for the Matterhorn, we wouldn't have a Magnum XL200 or a or even uh, the, the magnificent devices uh, from B&M or uh, Schwarzkopf or any of the other major developers out there, they can all trace their roots back to that, to the Matterhorn bobsleds. And that's that's amazing when you think about it. Just like um, most of the roller coasters today, wood or steel, can all trace their history back to John Miller and the under friction wheel design. Because if it wasn't for John Miller developing that, we may not be having the very steep dropped roller coasters or the inversions that we see today you know uh, i'm sure it would have been developed later by another inventor but john miller was the one that patented that originally back in 1919 and uh two oldest ones with that right now are two jackrabbits one in uh at seabreeze in uh, rochester and uh, the other one here at pittsburgh at uh, kennywood those are the two oldest uh under friction roller coasters that we have operational and that's what keeps the uh, roller coaster safe and on the track without them leaving the track. So, mm-hmm. you know, we can thank him for that. And then, of course, we can also thank LaMarcus Thompson, you know, for becoming the showman that he was to to uh, get it, get a roller coaster uh, where it became a, a, a public sensation that everybody had to ride it. And that's, you know, his uh, original switchback railway, um, although it wasn't the first. But it was the first to be heavily promoted, and it was a Coney, and the first at Coney Island. So, and of course, Coney Island being the mecca of the modern amusement park, for sure. I mean, it's it's crazy to if you haven't ever, you you need to Google some of these coasters we're talking about to see the pictures from back then because it's amazing how far they've come and and how far we've revolutionized the industry too. Oh, absolutely! And it's 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 amazing. Is there any other big? milestone changes um i know you mentioned batman for un- from from hanging under but since you since you've been living through it so as long as you have i just thought maybe yeah. was there anything else that sticks out in your head 
those are the biggest ones that I mentioned. Uh, I'm guessing one that, and I don't like to bring this one up, but it, it is definitely a trend and definitely a game changer, and it's RMC. Uh, yeah. Converting uh, wooden roller coasters uh, as they do with the steel I-beam track. I am not necessarily a fan of uh, wooden roller coasters being converted. Their rides are magnificent. They are incredible and game changers by far. They've set the bar to a new level. Um, they also, uh, but they can also build them from the ground up. So hopefully more of their designs are that way. I've definitely been on the ground up ones and those are, I, th I think is. I'm all for those. I am all for their, their ground up designs. Uh, you know, um, lightning rod or outlaw run. Outlaw run. Yes. Yes. Or uh, I haven't rode this one, but Airy force one. I mean, I hear that's a magnificent ride. You know, those are great, but uh, I, 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 the latest one that happened uh, was uh, Wildcats Revenge at Hershey Park. Great ride. I'm not going to deny that it isn't a great ride. Unfortunately, we lost a major piece of history there with uh, the Wildcat being converted. Wildcat being the first uh, coaster uh, designed by uh, GCI, uh, Great Coasters International, and they were a game changer unto themselves when they started back in the uh, late 90s after, um, uh, well, at the time that uh, CCI was about ready to uh, go bankrupt. Uh, and that was custom coasters. Now, a lot of the engineers from CCI went to GCI, and a lot of the other ones went to the other group, uh, Gravity Group, which is another great company. And I'm thankful we have two wooden roller coaster companies still today that are uh, – building rides unfortunately it's getting neither seem to be getting as many uh, contracts for new rides as they used to hopefully they both can survive and hopefully both will uh, continue to prosper and uh, build us new creations i mean uh, they both both companies are magnificent in their in their designs and i love them both but it was really sad to lose the wildcat even though it was a little bit on the rough side uh, see, i feel uh, maybe I'm a weird one, but I didn't think it was that rough. I mean, I, I wrote I it on either, this final but... year. I guess if near the back, if you were a, a back rider, um, it was a little bit rougher in the back. But I still think that layout was, I, I enjoyed it. it. It was fixable. There's no question of it. It was a fixable solution. Um, again, I'm not going to question Hershey Park's um, um, choice on what they did. Obviously, uh, Wildcats Revenge is being very successful for them right now, and uh, they probably felt that they could get more people on the gate with a, a newer type ride than to just put the money in and, and smoothing out and restoring the original Wildcat. Sadly, we, we lose GCI number one, which is the Wildcat, one of the few designs by Mike Boodley, who is an ace member, by the way, and a personal friend. So I was I feel bad for him. He he just kind of shrugged his shoulders and says, well, you know, it's the, you know, it's the decision of the park. He said, there's nothing I can do about it. And I said, yeah, but I, I, I'm sorry. To, I told him, I said, I'm sorry to see your coaster gone now. And he says, yeah, well, because I had other ones. <laughs> so he, he, he kind of shrugged it off. Well, I but, really appreciate your guys' attitudes because, I mean, I think that is a challenge. Like you already mentioned, uh, you know, the park wants to do 
you know, it, at the end of the end of the day, it's a business, and if the yeah. business can't afford to stay open, they can't keep the coaster running. So it's that that fine line that uh, we walk um, as coaster, appreciating the coasters, I should say, yeah. where it's just like you do. Man, it was sad. It was sad. It's final year, but yeah, like like you mentioned, you got to get those people in the door. Yeah, and you do, and and you have to go by. Um the fact that it's a business. I think someday we're going to have to acknowledge uh, RMC's uh, uh, landmark changes to the industry for better or for worse. We can't ignore the fact that it happened. You know, uh, Rocky Mountain Construction, they make great rides, unfortunately, sometimes at the cost of some historic rides. Well, Dave, I super appreciate you taking us a walk through (laughs) the historian role and all the landmark you know, coasters and just, it's just kind of, it's a, I just appreciate that you're going to the trouble to recognize these and going to all the work to, to keep all the history. So if, if there's an ACE person out there that's listening to this and they want to join the historian committee, how do they uh, reach out? Yeah, I would recommend reaching out to Jimmy Tico, who's the preservation and history director. We have, I believe we have like 10 members of the history committee right now, uh, but there's always room for more. I mean, especially if they feel that they have something to offer. I mean, if they they know history of particular rides, especially well. I'll tell you where we really could use some uh, assistances uh, from anything overseas. If people are familiar with European or Asian or other uh, overseas coasters, we would Definitely could use their uh, assistance with that, especially some of the European designers, uh, European rides. You know, they they have been a benchmark also that we're going to start recognizing more. And just a, another side note on that, if you go to ridewithace.com underneath membership, you can click on exploring volunteering and fill out uh, the form there also Correct. to contact with uh, the volunteer organization and they'll uh, line you up. So, so Dave, any parting, any parting wisdom or, or maybe a challenge uh, to send out? Well, um, not parting wisdom, but another place to look up the, the, um, the landmark coasters uh, is on Facebook. We have a Facebook page that's dedicated just to the landmark coasters. Now that you mentioned it, I do, re- I do remember. And there's across lots that. of photos uh, and there's a photo of each of the plaques. So yeah, we're uh, very uh, appreciative of that. Uh, I believe Bill Lincolnheimer uh, created that page and um, it's been maintained um, since it was created. And uh, I really appreciate the, uh, any kind of exposure that we get is fantastic because Again, what we're trying to do is educate as as well as entertain. And what better combination of education and uh, entertainment and a roller coaster? <laughs> I mean, you can you can have fun with it, and you can also learn something from it, especially some of the older rides. Yeah. So I guess my challenge to these ACE members out here is don't walk by that ACE landmark coaster without getting on it because we got to show the parks that we do still enjoy those rides. Um, so next time you're at uh, Cedar Point on Valraven, make sure you uh, just go one or what is it like? Not even seven steps away. Yeah. As you exit Valraven, turn to your right from the gift shop and go right to the the Blue Street. <laughs> yeah, or you can go across the, the classic, park. man. 
Yeah, or you can go across the park to the Magnum XL 200. <laughs> Wait, is Gemini? Wait. No, Gemini is not yet, although we do have a plaque at Gemini. Uh, the plaque at Gemini is not for the coaster, but for Ron Toomer. Ah, uh, we I did a saw uh, one there. Yeah, the plaque at Gemini, and I wrote that also. <laughs> uh, little plug there, I guess. Uh, no, we wrote that as a tribute to Ron Toomer because he was such a, a deep friend to Ace, and he was such a monumental inspiration to uh, modern uh, roller coaster design. And Cedar Point being the largest collection of aero roller coasters right now they they have five roller coasters that were de designed uh by uh, built by arrow and designed by ron tumor that's why we chose cedar point to be the host for that plaque as well as we chose gemini to be the the, the location for it because that was his favorite design gemini yeah. is, is it's just great i mean like every time i ride that i just smile like a giddy school child <laughs> just love that ride <laughs> It was actually uh, a hybrid coaster long before a hybrid coaster was a term. <laughs> That's right. And uh, it, it's a magnificent ride. It really is. It, uh, it looks like a big wooden roller coaster, but rides like a steel coaster, you know, and it's, it's a lot of fun. It's, uh, and I'll tell you what, it's, it may not be the biggest and fastest roller coaster now, but uh, it is probably one of the most fun roller coasters you can ever ride. It really is. It's especially with the racing atmosphere on it. It's 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 magnificent. It's uh, uh, an underrated gem at Cedar Point, for sure. Uh, like my kids, I love to challenge my kids because you you can get a little light smack talk, a little fun racing atmosphere. Um, uh, you, you can ride right across from each other because the loading deck goes straight down the middle, and you can pick left or right. So you can make sure that you're not only on different trains, but you're on the same row at the same train. So yep, that just exactly. adds to the excitement. It, of that it's ride. it's a it's a fun ride, and I I highly recommend it. Uh, uh, another one that's similar in terms of like where you can talk smack to each other is the the racer at Kennywood. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and the racer you can actually at, uh, slap hands while you're riding. And Kings Island's racer. Yeah, Boy, we, could, have... we could just talk for hours, can't we? Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, the racers were disappearing like crazy uh, a few years ago. We we kept losing them left and right. I, I'm I'm hoping that purge is now done, and that thankfully I, I'm going to give credit to Cedar Fair for restoring both uh, Racer Seventy Five at uh, Kings Dominion. And also the the original racer at Kings Island, both are running magnificently now. Uh, both are, and and that's thanks to uh, Gravity Group with their new uh, what do they call it? single piece track design that they have, and that's helping them make it a lot smoother. And hopefully, they'll last another fifty years. You know. Yes. Uh, All right. Well, do you have an idea for a podcast? Do you know somebody who we should be interviewing? You can reach out to us at podcast at aceonline.org. Also, don't forget on all the socials, even in this one, we mentioned the Ace Landmark Facebook page. On all the social media, just search Ride With Ace. Ride With Us is produced by the American Coaster Enthusiasts, a registered 501c3 organization. Visit aceonline.org for additional information, and we will see you at the parks.